You're listening to the ACL Podcast. This week, my guest is author and writer and GQ contributor Rosecrans Baldwin. He's the author of the new book, Everything Now, Lessons from the City-State of Los Angeles. He's a really interesting and great guy. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Okay, this is it. Rosecrans, okay. test. Are you test, here? Test, you have all your drinks. I have all my drinks. We I, went. We went through. Not this is it. This is the. This is the famous podcast that you drove across town for. <laughs> that you. <laughs> that you regret driving across town for. Not at all. Not with good iced coffee like this. This is very good iced coffee. This is how long gone iced coffee. Just want to plug it. It's not sponsored. Those guys are you know famous podcasters and now you know powering other podcasts through their caffeine. So. Well, just, it was, uh, I, I did not know that. This is not an actual <laughs> plug. I just thought you served me a very nice iced coffee. So great. Okay. I only serve this when when recording. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so we had a very LA experience of trying to coordinate this where I was sort of dragging my feet based on geography, right? Which is yep. one of the one of the central, I don't know, problems, features. Yeah, you know? I, think, I think it's both a problem and a feature. I think, you know, when people talk about people in Los Angeles being transactional in their relationships. The idea that someone's value to you sometimes is about, can they help you in your career? Can they, by standing near them, does it look good on you for other people? There's also the transaction to say, is someone worth driving to? You know, <laughs> And I drove from Hollywood to the Palisades because you are worth driving to. Thank you. I, w- I would have, I actually gave you, I gave you, I felt like I was fair in the presentation of forcing you. I, I didn't I didn't only give you this one option. I said, you know, we could just do it on Zoom. Right. If you know I could save you all the time. But haven't we had enough Zoom yeah, at this yeah. point? Zoom the Zoom stuff is terrible. And Zoom. No more Zoom. But you did also offer driving to Marina Del Rey. Which I think is worse. Which is worse. It's farther. <laughs> I also went to Marina Del Rey for the first time in I don't know how long last Saturday and I went sailing. Do you oh, sail? I'm I'm this is one of my things that I'm interested in, but I don't do it. This is one of my future things that maybe I'll do with my life. Here's here's what when it, I've sailed previously was in summer camp when I was in second grade and I fell out of a sunfish in a pond into, I don't know, jellyfish. I don't know how jellyfish got into the pond, but it stung. It was awful. <laughs> but I spent... It sounds brackish. <laughs> brackish. Was it? It was brackish. Uh, I spent... One of the things that really kept me sane um, during pandemic was I was a volunteer at Dodger Stadium, mm-hmm. which was converted into a coronavirus testing mass site and then vaccination. And one of the guys who ran it, this really sweet dude named Jeff, who you could tell in his previous life had just been a bass player. I don't mean to say just, <laughs> but he was a bass player. He loves fish. He is the most loving, open-hearted, kind guy who went from being a professional musician to running a vaccination center for the city of Los Angeles. It's Amazing. remarkable. And I think, you know, he needed an escape. And it turns out a friend of his was leaving Los Angeles and had a uh, a boat that's not a fancy boat. It's 27 feet. I think it cost him about 5,000 bucks. Does he know. live on the boat? No. And he, but he moved to Denver. <laughs> and he said to Jeff and another friend of theirs, uh, 
can you take care of my boat while I'm gone? And Jeff didn't know how to sail. So Jeff taught himself how to sail. No way. And he said, do you want to go sailing on Saturday? So wow. we went out and it was amazing. I had never seen Los Angeles from that point of view where we're just sort of cruising up and down under full sail, you know, passing Santa Monica and Venice up to Malibu, down to the airport. It was beautiful. That's great. I, uh, I'm interested in that. I actually, we, so we've been reading, I'm reading all these children's books, but one of the, one of the books that, one of the things I've read a bunch of times is one one morning in Maine, and they, you book. know they live on that island in Maine, and yeah, it's and then so I've been we were talking about sailboats with my daughter, and so sometimes I'll drive her down to the marina, and we'll just go look at the sailboats. It's pretty cool. I mean, it's funny. My dad grew up sailing. His mother, my grandmother, was from Ellsworth, Maine, which is across oh, yeah. the uh, across the bridge from Bar Harbor and Acadia. And um, it's something that he was very good at. So who knows? Maybe they're sailing in my future. It seems pretty cool. Yeah, it seems and it seems here like a good place to do it because you get, you know, all year round. Yeah. It's another feature. Yeah. Right, yeah it's Southern another California. feature of Southern California. <laughs> if you can oh, get there, many. but then you'd have to drive. You might have to move from Hollywood, you know, further west. Otherwise, you'd never be able to go get your boat. Well, I don't know. This was a pretty good transaction. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it, the book is wonderful. I, I really love it. Thank um, you. It's you know, I, I actually, I feel like I sort of lost touch with you. Maybe I sort of, I, I can't remember how exactly it happened, but we had met years ago. Yep. And, and I think because of Twitter linking Substack, I came, came back across the newsletter. Oh, terrific. Okay. Yeah. And then subscribed to the newsletter and started reading it. Beautiful. And all these little flourishes of things that happen in your everyday life that are, it's sort of Seinfeld-esque in a way. It's like, uh, you know, about nothing, but about everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I just, I, I really looked forward to every Saturday uh, when I would read them and just all the, you know, all those things. And then through that, you know, found out about the book and, and just really, really love the book because just the structure of it and how it incorporates, um, I don't know, your, your inquisitive nature, your, the observations, the way that you see the world. Um, it's, it's really interesting and it's sort of unlike anything I've read about, you know, LA in which you call the city state. Yeah. Which I feel like you should have that Instagram handle or something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, I want to say that you and I had lunch in Manhattan in a restaurant across from Grand Central Station yeah. called Pershing Square. And we might have been brunch or might have been lunch. And this was probably like 11 years ago is the last time that we sat face to face like this. It's and I had French fries. Um, yeah, well, that's great. I, I love that you love it. I, I really appreciate that. This was a book that was in the, it's been in the works for about four years. Um, it came from two odd things happening at the same time. One, I'm not from Southern California. I'm not from LA. Um, but I came here and I felt like I was at home and it didn't make any sense because <laughs> I grew up in like in Connecticut, mostly a little bit in Nashville before that I was born in Chicago. I went to school and college in Maine and then in South Africa. Uh, I lived in New York. I lived in Paris, North Carolina, and then here. And therefore why I would feel at home in Los Angeles was perplexing. But then I also noticed that I found it so confusing. Like I didn't get Los Angeles in any way. And that's everything from being lost when I'm driving around to um, confused about why when you have two cars that are waiting. We're good. Sorry, I'm just looking at okay. the, we're okay. looking at the machinery here. Oh, my flow is consistent. <laughs> I, it's that it's that non-dairy creamer. 
<laughs> Very consistent flow. Um, so, you know, this is something, though, that's true. Did you have this phenomenon when you first moved to Los Angeles where you are at a stoplight and you're taking a left, right? And the car in front of you is taking a left and it's turning um, yellow and the red. And the car in front of you, of course, takes that left. But then the car behind you honks because you're also expected to take that left, which doesn't exist on the East Coast, yeah. right? The idea that two cars always get the left turn as a light is – did you find that surprising? Uh, I mean, I drove a lot in Manhattan. I found – which I think – I actually think was easier than people make it out to be. I think it's much more difficult here yep. because of these – you know, all of these nuances. I don't know that I knew that exactly, but I, I, I learned fairly quickly that – if you don't sort of go through a, a left at, you know, at yellow, you're not going to get through. Like, right. you know, I see, sometimes I'll see, you know, I'll, I'll drive from the 10 up to the PCH going north and um, you'll see like a million people trying to turn into the beach parking lot. Right. You know, like a mile of cars waiting and everyone's struggling to take that one left and you're like, <laughs> you're never getting in, you know? That's the things you start to learn. You're like, you have to go around or come down Temescal. There's so or, much to learn. Yeah. There's so much to learn. But, you know, there also, there's so much that is both either metaphysical or aesthetic about Los Angeles that is really wonderful to learn. I find that conversations are more open-ended. I feel there is certainly a tolerance here that I think is born into the proximity of so many people living together from so many different places, but also spread across so much land. Because mm -hmm. Los Angeles does have, well, the last time they checked this, according to the last census, the greatest urban density, even if it doesn't appear to have it in the way that, you know, parts of New York do or um, other large cities. But the idea that us, you know, in the county, um, there's 11 million or 12 million people living here. In the greater Los Angeles, consisting of the five counties, there's 20 million people living here. So the five counties are Orange County, Ventura, Los Angeles, yep. and then what? San Bernardino oh, and San Bernardino. Um, Irvine. Yeah. Um, with those people, and that's that what's considered, test. I know, <laughs> trust me, <laughs> I'm getting a lot of tests these days and I'm failing tons of them. You're getting picked uh, on a lot for being like an outsider. It's like another outsider book. Yeah, on that's LA. right. That's right. I know. And it's, that's what, I mean, this is not um, a humble brag or a brag or anything. This is this is real stuff. I woke up on Tuesday morning. Tuesday is the day that the book came out. Today is Friday. Uh, today is Thursday. Today is Friday. Thursday. It's the pandemic. Time is a construct. <laughs> Thursday. And there was a review already in the New York Times on Tuesday. Wow. Um, and I've been in publishing. The New York Times book review is a big deal, right? It's something to worry about. Um, if you're not covered by the New York Times book review, uh, other places take it as an indication that they don't need to cover you. If you are reviewed by the New York Times, other places then also take notice. And if it's unless it's a middling to poor review, at which point it's also a chance to be dismissive, be like, well, if the New York Times didn't like it, we won't like it either. Even though it's just one person, mm -hmm. you know, who in their so personal it, opinion, it informs a lot. Informs a lot, and it can open doors. And I got a rave on Tuesday and it was fucking mind melting. It's still mind melting. <laughs> like it just does. It's the last thing you expect. And so I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, which will happen at some point. Maybe obviously. we'll say something bad on this podcast that will counteract all this positive that, energy. That's the scary thing about doing press right now is that, you know, what is my, what am I going to say in the moment? But I'll just keep trying <laughs> that's amazing. to do my good, best. Good for you. So this, it was, it was semi unexpected. 
Not totally. I mean, you have a publisher, oh, no, no, no. so like. I mean, I'm, I'm not bullshitting with you. It was unexpected. Yeah. We knew that we. My publisher found out that the New York Times Book Review was going to review it. So, and they and the New York Times is notorious. Not notorious. They're just known. They won't let you know what the review is going to be like, and they won't tell the publisher until like the night before that it's coming out. So mm-hmm. it's a bit of a surprise. Um, but I, I think that the. I mean, from my perspective, you know, you're telling a lot of stories. I, I think just to back up a little bit, but I. I think people, a lot of outside, people outside of LA, especially New Yorkers, have one sort of vision of what LA is. And, sure. it's, and it's based on one sort of industry, one small subset of people, and one small geographic area. Sure. Maybe right? one movie, maybe one TV show, yeah. maybe that. John and Vinny's. Sure. Exactly. You know, it's like, so it's, it's very, very focused and, and I don't think people were, I don't think people really understand the diversity, complexity, right. variety, and just sheer scale of of LA. It's, Even it, if you hate it. If your exposure to it is limited, first of all, if your exposure to it is limited to the English language, that's a very, that's not the majority of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Los Angeles is a Spanish-speaking city. It is a Korean-speaking city. It's a Chinese-speaking city. I just, I get frustrated sometimes if your impression of Los Angeles or your opinions are based on... For no fault of anybody's own, really, but, you know, the style section of some Mm -hmm. magazine coming out of Manhattan, it's going to be um, a curtailed idea. And Los Angeles is extraordinarily vast. It's a difficult place to visit. It's a difficult place Mm -hmm. to be a tourist. But I have found, I don't know if you found this, but in living here, that's when it really starts to open up. And Mm -hmm. in pursuing it, going after it, you know, flirting with Los Angeles, it really responds when you begin to engage. So that's why everything now, sorry, that's the name of the book. Everything now, the idea was... Yeah, I should have said that. Everything now. <laughs> everything I'll now. I'll put this in the beginning. Lessons from I the city-state of Los Angeles. Yeah, sorry, I was interrupted. No, Do it again all. so everyone can hear it. Everything now. Lessons from the city-state of Los Angeles. Did you read the audiobook? I did. Oh. Which is, um, which was fun, and I also, I think, um, first of all, I think I terrified my audio engineer at one point because... <laughs> Uh, well, two things. One, do you, can you hear the difference in my voice when I'm not smiling, which is right now, and when I'm smiling like this? Yeah, I can hear And it. the reason for that is I used to be a commentator on All Things Considered on NPR, and my producer at the time told me that I needed to smile more when I'm talking because it adds a bounce to your voice. I'm smiling right now, and hopefully it adds a bounce to your voice, which in NPR speak is the idea is you want to keep people in their cars longer rather than letting them get out so they listen to the program. So I tried to smile quite a bit, but um, one part, there's a story in the book where I spent a day and an evening with a horse gambler, a guy who loves playing the ponies. Um, And we went from bar to bar to bar. I think we went to like eight or nine bars uh, in North Hollywood, which is in the valley, not the actual town of Hollywood. There is a town called North Hollywood um, over the Santa Monica Mountains from Hollywood. And he's a bit of the king of this community. Um, And he has worked his life out such that he's also um, from your neck of the woods. You know, you're from Ohio. I thought you were from, excuse me, he's from from Pittsburgh. In any case, um, came here and just loves the horses. And so he spends his days starting around 10 in the morning and going until about 1 in the morning, um, getting drunk and betting on the ponies. Um, Where where was he betting? At the bars or there was like some like OTB? (laughs) Yeah, no, there was an app. That he's betting through an app that's essentially like an OTB app. And he has, he's actually um, anonymous in the book because 
he has dabbled in the darker arts of gambling at, at certain times. Not anything violent, but um, he's just, he can't be using his real name. <laughs> in any case, um, he narrated a race for me because I don't know horse racing and I'm not a gambler, so I don't really, uh, I needed him to tell me what's going on. And he gets very excited when he's doing well and he rolls up the menu from the bar and the bartenders, they all know him. So they turn on the races when he shows up and he rolls it up in his hand like a crop. And he starts whacking the bar as he gets more excited. And it turns out the very first race that we watched, which he had asked me for, so like, hey, who should we bet on here? And so I was like, I don't know. Like, I like the name of that horse. That sounds funny. <laughs> um, and so he had bet, and forgive me for getting this wrong. I'm sure there are listeners who will know how this works. But he had placed a certain type of bet where he bet on three horses mm -hmm. to place in a certain sequence. Mm -hmm. um, and in this race, it would appear that all three horses were going to place in the exact sequence that he had predicted. And so he's like yelling at the television and just screaming and so to bring this full circle is that called a trifecta sure let's call it a trifecta i mean again I, i'm not the person who's gonna know um that's a test that i'm gonna fail but i did do an impression of him for the audiobook <laughs> in which i'm screaming into the microphone and the engineer like ripped off his headphones because i blew out his eardrums and he's like okay we're gonna have to do that again but i think he kept the take where i'm yelling <laughs> really loudly yeah, I, at first I thought maybe that was like I had a vision of that TV show Luck. I don't know if you remember that from HBO. Absolutely. I I had a vision that that was like close to Santa Anita, right? Which is like the most beautiful place, and yeah. just features so well in that show. Yep. And and I actually think you know that in Del Mar, like the horse racing venues in Southern California are pretty amazing too. So it was funny all of these all these places. I mean, it wasn't all you know, sort of happy-go-lucky people. Right. You know, there's like human trafficking. Right. You know, just all, you, you, uh, the... I spent a bunch of time with a woman in Skid Row who had formerly been basically an executive level um, in Silicon Valley and wound up in Skid Row. Um, yeah, obviously people, this, the people I spent time with, there's a woman who is trafficked for labor um, from the Philippines. There's um, any number of people that are just having what is, I think, pretty common really in Los Angeles, that experience of things go badly for you and then go worse. And there's not a net here to catch you. Mm -hmm. um, it's a very... Is that different here, do you think, than other places? I think sometimes it's more exposed. I think it's more evident sometimes. I think it's um, it's laid bare. I think we are a community of extremes. There's a, the extreme wealth here and mm -hmm. extreme ambition, but also people that are not looking to do much. Um, there's a sense to me that with so much ground and so many people sort of crawling over it, that it's very easy to go unnoticed. And I think sometimes that can be an emotional state. People feel a little bit despairing. You know, I talk at one point in the book that one of the vibes that I got from people or one of the ideas that I sort of took away was that to be, I think the way I phrase it in the book is that to be a somebody with, without a something in Los Angeles is to be a nobody. And that is about status and it's about power in certain ways. But that means to me, what I'm trying to say by that is that it was a perception that people just shared with me over time that if you don't have the, the amazing job or the huge social media following or the sparkling Range Rover or <laughs> the hot sexual partner or whatever it is that 
accord status in your community or at least how you perceive yourself that without that in Los Angeles, there is a sense that everyone else has it and you don't. And it's quite lonely feeling. And this is also a city. I don't, I can't do the statistic off the top of my head, but we're in almost alarming if you consider it alarming or perhaps something negative, amount of people live by themselves. Um, and in Los Angeles, it is easy mm. to stay in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It is easy to decide also that perhaps you are not of value, the type of value that would bring people to you. And so that you may be less inclined to put yourself out there in a way that is uh, vulnerable. You know, someone made the observation at one point to me that Angelinos can quite often be very similar to their cars, that there's a very hardened shell, but they're really, really easy to ding, you know, (laughs) and that they're also that metal of the car is actually really thin. So for that hardened shell, it's a thin skin. Um, And I thought I thought that person I should give them more credit. I don't think I named that person who said that. (laughs) You just get the genius quote. Um, (laughs) So so what do you think people um, I two two things to go back to the you, you know, you've lived so many different places. Yeah. And it's it's sort of surprising that you would find L.A. to be the place that you feel most at home. Yes. Um, one thing, one way to account like, for that. Like, I don't think a lot of people that live in Paris then say, you know, they feel. No, best. they all want to live in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> and all the Brooklyn people want to live, live in, in Paris. Paris. <laughs> yeah. L.A. for me, I was. I said this to someone the other night and I, it rang true for me. I don't know if it'll be true for anybody else, but to me, well, first of all, Los Angeles and New York are often compared. It used to be that I think some people in Los Angeles felt that they were viewed as a little bit inferior to New York or that Los Angeles was viewed as inferior mm-hmm. to New York, uh, less serious perhaps, or less whatever. Uh, and I actually think that, um, that balance has shifted uh, a little bit. And I think a lot of Angelinos who care about these things are a little bit uncomfortable with that. They're sort of like, wait a second, we're the cool ones now? Um, <laughs> like there's a big department store in uh, Gallery Lafayette in Paris that has a huge special Christmas theme every year. And they redo the store and it's beautiful, the windows and the interior decorations. And they did it all as a Southern California theme. You know, wow. like they built a skateboard ramp. Like it was just, and the woman was, the design director said something like, you know, yeah, we're just hearing more and more interest in Los Angeles. Anyway, to make to your point, um, to bring this around, uh, I was saying to someone that to me, New York, is often a place. So I don't I don't love the New York LA duality or combo, but to make the comparison, New York often feels like a place if you aspire to be an insider, New York is the place to prove it and to achieve it, whether that's in finance, publishing, advertising, mm-hmm. um, fashion, um, so many businesses that are headquartered and centered in New York, but also maybe if you want to be the club kid of all club kids, you know, for a long time it's been New York City where that is going to be proven out. But to me, Los Angeles is kind of the place that if you've sensed in yourself that you're an outsider, uh, which I think is, I'm not, this is nothing to brag about. This is just something that I've always sort of felt that vibe. And I think it partly comes from growing up um, in a really wealthy community where I wasn't one of the rich kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't one of the kids who was families were struggling. My dad made a perfectly good income. He was a textile executive in New York City. But I also wasn't like, we weren't going on big ski vacations every year. Mm-hmm. In any case, that sense of exclusion has always um, been, I should probably talk to my therapist about this more often, <laughs> but uh, that sense of exclusion has always been part of me. Um, and I think and you in feel LA- like, You feel like that's here. I think that's here. I think there's a Be- lot of people. Because like it's not New York? Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying that in New York, 
if you've got a bit of an because outsider you're, because vibe, you're, yeah, because you're not an insider, you're yeah, yeah. It's there's a lot of people in Los Angeles that I've met who have the outsider vibe mm-hmm. that ended up here because this is where they fit when they didn't fit somewhere else, mm-hmm. uh, and that can be as uh, woo woo weird as you want it to be, but it can also just be the random guy that I met at a city court to play tennis with who works as a accountant mm-hmm. is just that LA is where he fits, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. I, I was thinking, you know, that, that tennis player, the gambler or the horse racing guy, yeah. there's so many people that you know, I've been, I've been thinking a lot, especially since the pandemic about, I don't not that life is meaningless. Um, but Everyone needs a distraction. Like everyone's kind of got a thing where they're like, this is my thing. Like sailing's my thing or tennis is my thing or golf or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. And and I feel like that's just to consume everyone's free time, you know, and we just move through life obsessed with some sort of quasi meaningless thing to just fill, you know, fill the, fill our time. And some people in New York, especially, I feel like that's work. Yes, right? that's right. And here it's like it's not, you know, the work ethic here I don't think is the same, not to say it's less, but it's it's a different it's a different beast out here. I think for a certain group of people. I uh, yeah, for a certain group of people. Um yeah, again, as you would probably say even before I would, it's very hard to generalize out here, yeah, right? Yeah. With so many um And I feel like we're best. we kind of fall into that and it's hard to Oh, it's sort, easy. Yeah, yeah. It is easy for sure. And Yes, but I think out here, if we are comparing it to New York, there is less, but less of an attachment to the job as being how um, I define myself. Mm-hmm. Or, um, mm-hmm. But also, I think a lot of business and a lot of culture and a lot of things are being reevaluated right now. And that idea of um, putting in the 18 hours a day may be coming up for review everywhere. Um, yeah. but that's just a, who knows? We'll see. I, I definitely think like the not being in the office. I mean, if you, any, every surf break is like jam packed, right? <laughs> Everywhere. And, and I'm not a surfer, but I just hear it from everyone and sure. you see it. Like if you drive up PCH or whatever, you, you know, where the surf spots are, you could see just how crazy it is. Sure. But also the handball courts, you know, <laughs> yeah. also, um, yeah, everything right now, people, People out here certainly do have their hobbies and they do have their interests. And I think it can be, you can find space and time to make them a little bit more in your life than you can if you live in New York. Yeah, certainly. And and I think from like, if you, not that we want to talk about the pandemic, but um, if you look at that and LA is much better sort of positioned in a way, you know, to deal with the pandemic, just everyone's in their car, you know, you kind of have a backyard or you have like an outside space, the weather's good. So there's a lot of reasons why it felt like, oh, this is actually a better place to be. And I feel like that pushed a lot of people, even more people to, you know, it increased the pace of people wanting to move to LA to sort of live that Southern California existence. Yeah, and obviously we have the climate that we have, which has obviously some very glaring negatives to it. But the positives to it are you are just able to be outdoors more frequently when it is sunny 323 days a year. Yeah, You know, we are just blessed in that way. Um, And that's what's so odd. And some of the stuff that I turned up for the book, it has been an obsession among the powers that be. And let's be clear what powers we're talking about. These are white people in Los Angeles because Los Angeles was a very white place for a long time that thought that Los Angeles 
was a Mediterranean city. And so they planted all these stupid palm trees to make it seem like we're on the Riviera, which are the most useless plants. They offer no shade. Rats climb up them and shit on our cars. Uh, they're disgusting flora. But... Uh, it also you might get us you might get a strongly you know strongly worded letter from uh, the Palm Tree Association <laughs> after that rant. Well, I don't know who your sponsors are, so <laughs> I apologize to the Palm Tree Association. Palm, uh, palm Tree Growers of America, right? Palm Springs, uh, <laughs> where actually they have native palms, unlike us. Uh, but yeah, there's uh, you know been a desire to sort of sell when they used to sell Los Angeles when they really needed to sell it. Not that you know Mayor Garcetti is constantly selling Los Angeles for as long as he's still the mayor. Um, but they've long sold during the real estate booms and the orange booms and then the Hollywood booms of Los Angeles being a place where you take the air, where you will recover um, mm -hmm. you know, a certain amount of health. For example, one of the people that I interview in the book is Yvonne Chouinard, mm -hmm. um, who moved here as a young French-speaking child from central or northern Maine. I forget why, and I believe this is correct I'd have to go back to my notes because I interviewed him like two years ago for this book. Like I said, this book's been in the works for a little while. But uh, he moved, his family moved to Burbank because his dad, I believe, had lung issues. Anyway, the idea was that it would be better for his health if he lived in Southern California versus Maine. Chenard would go on later to found Patagonia, the, the brand, uh, mm -hmm. in Ventura in part because of the good surfing in Ventura. But he told these funny stories about growing up as like a little sort of wild punk. And he would go like fish for abalone and lobster in Malibu. And he would go trap rabbits in Griffith Park. And he had a swimming hole that he liked. And I was like, where is there a swimming hole in Burbank? He's like, well, it was in the outflow. And he named a major movie studio that I can't name here or else I'm sure they'll sue him and me. But uh, <laughs> just that wild side of Los Angeles, I always find really, you know, you attractive. Went, you went fishing with him, I think, right? Uh, I went on a boat. Yeah, you went on he... Oh, you guys went on a, you were doing like a plastic... Yes, with yeah. a pair of environmental scientists who are based mm -hmm. here and their um, group, which is called Five Gyres, um, that do really groundbreaking research into plastic pollution. One of their corporate sponsors is Patagonia. Mm -hmm. And so they arranged for me to go on a boat with them mm -hmm. off Santa Barbara. Was he there? He wasn't. I interviewed him at Patagonia headquarters mm. up at Ventura, which they let me go into the Patagonia archive, which is its own Quonset hut that has no yeah. sign on the outside, yeah. that they don't let people in. And I... Listen, I, if we can just dip into style for a second. Uh, <laughs> growing up, my parents are not outdoorsy. It's just not their thing. They're both big readers. Um, they like watching movies. Um, and I had this yearning as a kid to <laughs> have a different family. <laughs> uh, and have you I, told them that? No, 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 no. This is, trust me, this is why we're all in therapy, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but they, for whatever reason... I saw a Patagonia catalog when I was like seven or eight years old. And my, I don't my, you know, this was back in the days of catalog mail order was a thing. That's how mm -hmm. one shopped for things. And we got them in the mail and I started holding on to them because I just loved them. They were these large format photographs of people, men and women, just doing the kind of stuff that I yearned to do when growing up in the suburbs of Connecticut doesn't quite allow. I did have a fabulous scout master. I was an Eagle Scout, Boy Scout, and we did a lot of adventuresome trips, but I started collecting Patagonia catalogs. But, uh, okay, we'll do a, here's a moment that I, I wouldn't tell anybody else, but why not? Because um, <laughs> it's very vain and awful, and I have deep regrets about it. 
I wanted a Patagonia fleece um, in sixth grade. And it, my parents were not going to spend the money on it. You know, it cost $100 for a sweater. But my dad had one because he had gone on a trip um, to Alaska and he had gotten it for the trip. And so I yearned for it. My dad is a much different sized person than I am. It is not going to fit me. So I wanted one so bad. And I put on my Christmas list for Santa Claus to bring me a, something I still did in sixth or seventh grade. And there was the box under the tree and I opened it up and it was the same color as my dad's fleece, blue, the, the trim along the collar. It was from Land's End. And um, I started crying. That's how <laughs> a spoiled little asshole I was. And because I, I wanted the Patagonia fleece, not the Land's End fleece. And my dad, in a just responding to the mom, he's like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. your mom, I'll get her to grab mine and we'll just cut the label off and put it on yours. And the realization that I went through in a microsecond of why did I want that fleece versus this fleece? What did it mean that I wanted the little label and for people to see me wearing the label? Mm -hmm. What did it mean to my vanity and ego and superficiality and all this kind of stuff went through my brain in a, just a nuclear meltdown. And I ran to my room and felt terrible about myself and felt really terrible at my dad. I was just angry as hell. But anyway, <laughs> um, that's how I started. Uh, that's how you fell in love with Patagonia. That's how I fell in love with Patagonia. Uh, but it I seems also, like you've gotten over, like, it doesn't seem like. But I also never wore logos then for years. Like I, I wouldn't buy any clothes, anything that had any kind of decal. I still have a very hard time with it. Um, I mean, but, you're, you're, so you're wearing a Seiko watch, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. So, You're which, a watch guy. That's right. Which is a very practical watch to wear. I have um, I have three watches in my watch collection. Um, I have my grandfather was an accountant, and he had a Hamilton um, with a rectangular face. Mm -hmm. And so I have his Hamilton on a brown leather band. I love that I can talk with this about this with somebody. I have this watch my wife bought me to go on adventures with. I, I didn't wear a watch for a long time. I just used my phone. And I needed one, I needed something, some kind of timepiece to go on this hiking trip in the Sierras with a friend of mine. And she got this for me. And I had, I have small wrists and Seiko has this one sort of like a smaller version of a, of this kind of watch. And so she found it. It's, I don't know if they make it anymore, but she found it on eBay, you know, 200 bucks or something like that. And it has stood the test. It is the most wonderful watch. Uh, it's a beautiful weight too. And then my dad, so my dad works in the design business and he has a Cartier tank watch mm. that he's like, someday, someday. I'm like, that's a nice watch. He's like, someday. I'm not, <laughs> so <laughs> I have two watches and a ghost watch that I have to rely on my father to pass away in order to own. So I don't quite own it. it, it I feel like that's a perfect collection, a sports watch, something you can wear every day, something you can wear that's dressy and sure. something that has... You know, something that has some history. I like whatever. that they all have stories. I am definitely a person who likes stories behind things. I only bring up the brand of the watch, not yeah. to be also vain, but I, I feel like the Seiko, wearing a Seiko is very practical. It also signals that you appreciate things that are well-made and there's value there in the sort of Venn diagram of um, of brands. I feel like it's it's... It sort of appeals to watch people, to non-watch people. It's it just says a lot about someone that I think you know. I think is unique, and so you know, I, I when you told the story about Patagonia, I think about you know how do you, you know, because you could be wearing a Rolex, and if you and right, if you were, right. then I would think maybe you weren't over the brand thing, or brands right. do matter to you, right? You know, I mean, and, but frankly, I mean, brands do matter to me in as much as that Patagonia is probably the most ethical company out there. You know, mm -hmm. the amount of money that they give out 
to in the, the causes they support is astounding. And if you look at their supply chain and the wages they pay, it's just different from a lot of places. Yeah. So I'm wearing a Patagonia t-shirt. I'm wearing Patagonia underwear. It's it's become a, I've gone full circle. I've kind of only wear Patagonia now. Which I was really going to ask about your underwear, but I'm glad you just came out with you it. Know, you I know, I just want it on the table. I mean, <laughs> literally, but yeah. Wait, so, um, it, it, so the, the, the watch makes me think about when you went on the survival trip that, oh, that's yeah. in the book. Yeah. So yeah, what happened was, um, which sounded awful to be honest. It was awful. It was awful. It was, it felt great at the end. I think it was, what do they call that? Like type two adventure, type two, type one adventure. I mean, hopefully a listener will correct me on this and get me right. But type one adventure is when it's like fun during assume, the adventure. Wait, I like how you assume that people are listening. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they stopped 20 minutes ago. Uh, type two adventure is, it's not fun while it's happening, but you appreciate it afterwards. And type three adventure is just, you should never have done that. Uh, but this was type two. So what happened was there's a guy named Thomas Coyne who runs survival classes in Southern California. He trains military, he trains police, and he trains civilians. And he encouraged, I had consulted him for a different part of the story, and we got to emailing, and he encouraged me to take a class where we would go off into the Angeles National Forest, um, and you would be carrying a metal water bottle and I think you were allowed to carry a knife, and that's it. And uh, you will not drink any water except for that which you can collect and boil over a fire, which you have to build with nothing. Uh, but also, it was sleeting and raining the entire time, so we could not build any fires. Uh, but you could collect then, the and water. there's no food. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, water collection was easy. Water, yeah. But no fire to boil it. I don't, I don't remember drinking any water, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, and no food, uh, except that which you forage or hunt. And there was nothing to be hunted and nothing to be foraged. Uh, so it was just, yeah, not, not very fun, but it was, I think, I feel like he knows that there's n nothing there. And he, that's what part his of the idea deal. was is that not many people test their endurance skills under actual stressful situations. And I think it's good if you live in Los Angeles and you have an emergency kit for in case of an earthquake terrific if you built it yourself even better because then you know how to handle things frankly if anyone's listening to this and they don't have just a bunch of bottled water around their house take that away as the one takeaway here have a bunch of bottled water around your house yeah yeah um and in your car but in any case um Do you coins, yeah, i i saw that i think in the newsletter too that your emergency kit from your car was like was stolen my car was recently broken yeah. into yeah um a neighbor of mine thankfully found almost everything except for a pair of sunglasses so i got very lucky in, in but you but you keep well my big takeaway was uh you keep an emergency yes. kit in your car i have yeah i i have an emergency kit in my car i have an emergency kit in the house in different places i have i'm one of those guys <laughs> <laughs> so we lived in a house that was in a canyon yeah a couple a couple sort of points in the book made me think about just that choice and you know we we bought the house before we lived here and we didn't really understand the geography of la the yep. you know the risk of fire obviously there's we knew that there's fire risk there but um it's interesting one of the things you talk about and in, in the way the government the the city government and the county uh, and just in the state of California in general, historically, you know, have pushed through development, uh, how lobbyists have lobbied for things, to, homes to be built in areas that are unsafe. And, you know, how there's climate change. And then actually Robert Spangle, who's in the book, I actually knew. In, yeah, in that's real right. Life. He um, he mentioned I mentioned that I was coming here. Either he's like, oh, I know Michael, uh, which is funny. But, yeah, he's in the book also. 
But he, that was talking about the uh, the Wolseley fire. Right. Um, but it's I was really interested about how the development in some of these areas, especially in the hills, a lot of these houses have sort of just been pushed through. Yeah. And the unique setup of the government uh, in L.A. County and how it affects, you know, all that development and sort of risk in wildfire and real estate and all those things. Right. And yes. No, so I'm, I'm curious, like, <laughs> what do you think, like, what did you discover in, you know, or, or what surprised you in, you know, yeah, I didn't, I just sort of left that out there. But, you know, what surprised <laughs> you with, like, the development of, like, it, I mean, a, it's, it's shaped a lot of the geography, the way people live, uh, that is sort of beyond just, uh, beyond something you can sort of easily see. Yeah, it, it, that's true. And there was a lot that surprised me. And I, it's a actually a really good question. There's... It is shocking how much a role money from real estate interests play in our government and politics and how much influence they have. There is a reason that people, developers, are continued to be allowed to build massive properties in places that are practically guaranteed to burn down. And it is amazing that when people buy those properties, they are not looking into that or thinking about it very much, or they're not when looking at a property, for example, on a fault line, considering what may this mean to my family mm -hmm. 10 years from now or one year from now or 20 years from mm -hmm. now, um, there's a lot of that. And it is sometimes shocking the way that people go about living in Los Angeles as though Los Angeles is not a always changing, unsettled, um, often prone to violent eruptions kind of place. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so everything from the way that people build, the way that people buy, the way that people think, you just see one thing that's sort of <laughs> shocking after another. You, you know, one of the things which people may hate, uh, I mean, I think everyone that reads my newsletter and listens knows that I play golf, but one of the positive things that I've discovered through golf is I've gone to so many places in L.A. and around Southern California that I would probably never have gone to on, on its own. Absolutely. And one of the things that I discovered along along the way was I was, you know, I played a lot of golf in Valencia and Santa Clarita. And I heard stories about how basically the, you know, the developer, Santa Clarita and Valencia is almost developed by like one sort of one group. Sure. One person. And they lobbied the state to bring the five freeway through that valley basically right. and that's what then drove the development right? right and you know it's like those types of decisions that you just don't people you just don't pay attention to or you wouldn't you know you wouldn't catch if you weren't sort of thinking about those right. things or, or interested in the history of places exactly i mean i think anyone who's read mike davis who can tell you that like this is uh, this is just a long-standing aspect of the development of Los Angeles. And I, when I mentioned Davis, I mentioned books like City of Courts or The Ecology of Fear. But historians haven't been short on noting how this all plays out. But to your point about seeing Los Angeles through doing stuff, you know, my wife and I, we go hiking a lot. And it's, there's all wonderful, wonderful places to go hiking around Los Angeles County and around Southern California generally. And one thing I've noticed is that it's such a diverse population of people on the trails that if you're, you know, growing up in New England, that's a white, white place with white, white wilderness. You know, you mm -hmm. don't see many non-white people on the trails. In L.A., it couldn't be farther from the truth. It was mm -hmm. just wonderful to see 
the the spoils of Los Angeles being shared like that. And if anything, we just need to do, get much better access to people who could discover it for themselves. Um, but for example, I just did. I, the last time I was in the Palisades was a month ago. When I have you heard of the Backbone Trail? Uh, yeah. I just did this the whole thing as a backpacking trip. So to mm. listeners who don't know about this. Um, they were able, over time, by stitching together private parcels of land and also public state parks, city parks, um, they were able to stitch together a through-hiking experience in Los Angeles, similar to the Appalachian Trail or the Pacific Coast. A much smaller version, obviously, but it's 67 miles. It starts basically in your backyard mm -hmm. over at Will Rogers mm -hmm. and then continues all the way out to Point Mugu, like western Malibu. And it's 67 miles. I backpacked it. Uh, it was just breathtaking, the mountains and the nature and the animals that I saw and what's funny is right now to backpack it so I did it in four days or five days um you so I had like a you know camping stove and a tent and mm -hmm. sleeping bag everything with me and I was able to camp certain nights but some of the campsites are still closed due to lockdown but because the trail weaves around private neighborhoods you can just book yourself an Airbnb and like bop off the trail so like That's my amazing. first night I was uh going uh, through Topanga. And so I had booked an Airbnb on a ranch in Topanga that someone had converted an old wagon, like that which you may have used your ancestors to get from, you know, Ohio to, they're on the, you know, the Oregon Trail. Uh, <laughs> they had converted one of those wagons into a tiny little Airbnb that's just like parked on their ranch with an outdoor bathtub. So I hiked like 16 miles that day and got into an outdoor bathtub in the stars. And I will admit to my bougie ass tastes <laughs> that it, when I got off the trail to Panga, I looked on Google Maps and it, Google Maps and it showed me that there was like a gourmet food store like a mile down the road or half mile. And so I walked down and they had bread from Bub and Grant, no, from Justa. They had uh, <laughs> gorgeous pesto. I got a bottle of Sauvignon Blanc uh, from France. You know, I spent, I, I expensed it because I was on a magazine trip for an article. So I had <laughs> the most, like, douchey That's Wait, this sounds like actually dinner. the perfect LA, you know, this it was sounds so good. very authentic So then experience. I hiked back up to the, the ranch. I got into the bathtub. I opened the white wine. I did have to, like, really crank some miles the next day. But for one <laughs> evening, it was uh, a beautiful... I felt like I was touring Mont Blanc, you know, but like here in uh, in Los Angeles. That's amazing. Yeah, it's. I always find it interesting the the fact that LA is one of the. I don't know. I think it's like three mega cities that has big cats, right? Right. Right. So, like, because of the mountain lions, that... there is there is something like I just saw this uh, report from researchers at UCLA, and so forgive me here if I don't get this exactly right, but the diversity of uh, species here and the amount of endangered species here are second only as a county. So Los Angeles County is second only to Hawaii, um, wow. the diversity that we have here. And yet again, it's nothing that Los Angeles, Los Angeles is known for. People think cement, traffic, yeah. um, and then they think the most obvious cliches about Beverly Hills and Hollywood and Compton. And may, I mean, again, they don't even touch on Boyle Heights or East LA yeah. or you know, or the San, Ga San Gabriel Valley or San Gabriel you, Azusa, like the Ventura, like these parts aren't just thought of when people think of Greater yeah. Los Angeles. It's, you know, it's, there's so many different, I mean, I was walking in the flats of Santa Monica yesterday and you see like just how low, low density can be yes. with these huge lots and everything spread out. Or you go to San Marino and see it. Yeah. Um, and you know that those are like, and then there's, you know, everything South of the 10 that's very dense, right. but also by, 
maybe Manhattan standards or, or five borough standards very you know very light density right? right where it should be more dense correct in yeah. a lot of these places and and a lot of you know it's, it's just the diversity and so many different things it's not just people it's it's everything in the landscape and and you know the fact that the wilderness is literally right in the city and you know and there's risks from that and there's benefits from that and it just makes it a, a much more complex place and i think actually one of the one of the points i wanted to make with you and one of the things i wanted to ask you was why should people care about this book and care about los angeles if they're not from here which i think has yeah. been a big hurdle for a lot of people i mean i think everything you just said is where the title of the book came from, which frankly was Rachel's idea, it wasn't mine. Uh, it's the idea that everything is here and it's all, there's a sense at all times in Los Angeles that we exist in a very present, present moment. Mm -hmm. There's a sense that history is sort of happening all the time and you're not quite sure what happened on Tuesday and you're not quite sure what happened next Thursday and sometimes it feels here as though you're having a Groundhog Day type experience where every day looks the same. We don't, some people will say, oh, there's no seasons in Los Angeles, which isn't true, but it's sort of a lazy thing, but it can feel that way sometimes. Mm -hmm. This book, ideally, if you love Los Angeles, this is easily a book for you. If you hate Los Angeles, this is easily a book for you. <laughs> I've got those two camps covered. If you don't give a crap about Los Angeles, you have no feelings on the topic, but you like uh, narrative nonfiction in the style of Joan Didion or Gay Talese. Uh, if you enjoy people, because that's what drives me the most. I think I, I'm a, I love being around people. And I love talking to people. I love meeting people. I love asking people questions. And Doing this right now is not my preferred mode of being. Like I'm not, I like, prefer to be the listener, not the talker. Sorry, you were going to say. Oh, no, I was going to say, you know, it's, it's evident that you do like people in some of these experiences that you went on. Like some, you know, even the night with the the gambler. Yeah. At one point, I remember thinking, like, I think if it were me doing this, reporting this book or in this situation, I probably would have wanted to have left before because I feel like you were out with him really late. <laughs> yeah, until um, two. Or yeah. the or the which I guess isn't that late. But, you know, it is I, for me. I, I, I go, go to bed, bed at, at 10. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I go to bed around there, too. Um, but the. Just uh, the survival situation. There's certain things where I was like, you know, I feel like you're in the seeking out the human human trafficking story. Right. It's finding some of these things. I feel like wasn't it? It, it, it you had to have, you know, been open to different types of people to find these yeah, things. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. You know, the basement church of with the pagan rituals and um, I don't. And also, but also, you know, yeah. There's like a whole self help. Thing the the self-help stuff, on which, in the is, book, which is yeah, yeah. You just, all you have to do is read, you know, chapter two, and you can get that full experience. But also spending a day that was like job training for kids coming out of the foster system, you know, that are coming from very difficult, traumatic backgrounds, who are trying to find internships in the arts, and just talking to those kids and hearing their stories. One guy that had just gotten out of jail a couple of weeks earlier and wanted to be a chef and was just grappling with so much, including potentially being homeless two days later. Hmm. Um, I think, to come back to your original question, hopefully there is a certain energy to this book that even if it doesn't seem like the topic is the thing that you will respond to, I hope that the amount of um, openness that I hopefully exhibited to people and that they responded to me with gives the book a certain pulse, mm -hmm. that a certain energy that ideally just feels very right now mm -hmm. um, and hopefully there's just some good stories in there that will make people laugh and turn the pages pretty quickly I, I, I like that I think all of those things are true and 
and it, it, the book has it's the way it's mixed up and the stories are sort of intertwined um, and and spread throughout is is interesting um, and it didn't feel preachy in the way that I think a lot of books about a place can be and especially about LA and and to go back to something you said earlier it's hard to come to LA as a tourist and understand the city it's not like Paris where you can take it in and it's very Parisian and 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 almost linear right where you can sort of you can pr- exactly progress right. through the city where here I think you don't really understand it unless you are here and I think you've got that and you've got the outsider perspective but then also you know, I think you're laying it out through the eyes of other people and through other stories. And so yeah. it didn't feel, I don't know, like you were trying to sell it in any way. No, no, know? no, I'm not. I mean, I think that's the other thing is I, I say this at one point in the book, but I, the book and me included are not wearing Dodger hats. Like this is not a booster book. You know, I think Los Angeles needs way more critics than it needs defenders or supporters. And Steve Lopez, a columnist at the LA Times, makes that point in the book at one in uh, one section. Um, and I think you're right about the ways that certain book, certain cities, excuse me, you can m- experience A to Z, New York, Paris, Rome, uh, Cape Town. Um, other ones that stand out in my mind. Some parts of London, but not quite. Um, certainly Chicago, San Francisco. Um, I'm trying to think of really the larger cities. But then there mm-hmm. are some cities that are much harder. You know, Los Angeles, Tokyo, Berlin, Mexico City. Um, we can we can go down the list. Um, what is the capital of? Excuse me, um, Lagos. Um, there, where it's just it's in part because of how big they are. Mm-hmm. in part because of how spread out they are, in part because of how many populations live there and have their own communities that may or may not be a welcome space for you, depending on who you are. I mean, granted, being a white dude gets you into a lot of places easier than a lot of other you know, people who may not look like me or share my gender or what have you. Um, but again, it's not a linear experience. Um, and I think I've never heard that before, and I really appreciate you saying that because I'm going to steal that now. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. But it is a you rounder not, you experience. Cannot quote you know, me. It's you a, can quote it, but don't name me. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a habit of that. No, but that's why I make the point that Los Angeles sometimes is more of a climate than it is a city. One of the great historians, chroniclers of Los Angeles, Kerry McWilliams, said that Los Angeles is something like an island on the land. Um, and he was echoing a novelist um, who Helen, um, I forget her last name right now. Uh, any case, um, but there is that sense that it is not so much a city as a culture or a climate mm-hmm. or a mood. Um, mm-hmm. And it sounds a little esoteric and a little highfalutin and maybe a little grabby or bullshit, but I think it feels that way to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I, think that's, I think that's interesting. So just before we wrap this up. Um, and I also wanted to say we recorded this outside, which yeah. in New York would never, never work. <laughs> and you, you may have heard a helicopter or the, you know, the resurfacing trucks in the right. background. Right. Um, but I feel like that's a benefit. You know, you can just be out here. Nice Absolutely. breeze. Um, in, in the, in the idea of, you know, the left turn in the yellow light, yeah. um, practical advice that you gave in the beginning, which may or may not have been <laughs> recorded, um, I, I'll, I'll, I'm curious if you have another one or any other one, any other very practical L.A. things that you've learned. And I can start off with one to give you a little time to think. Thank you. And let me just say, let me specify real quickly. These are pieces that are things that people may not know about L.A. or like the advice on how on things to do here or how no, to no, get no, around. That, or, things that you learned that you didn't 
yep. know before you lived here that you intrinsically know now or okay. that you know you know very closely now or, or live by right yep. or just practical things like that you know no one oh no one goes uh, east to west in the morning because that's the direction of traffic, right? Right. Like you, in New York, it's it's a little bit more obvious. Like everyone's coming from New Jersey to the city in the morning and then it's the reverse in the afternoon, right? And here it's, you kind of do have to know, you know, the valley is like that. So if you're going north in the, in the afternoon, it's difficult. Right. Um, anyway, m- my thing is October is the hottest month. In LA, yeah, it's weird. And people, and I didn't know. Summer this. starts in July and goes until practically until Thanksgiving. Yeah, and it can be really hot in Thanksgiving. Yes, but October is not the cool time to come no. to LA. Nightmare. Yeah. Come, if you're going to visit LA, come in April or May. Uh, even come, you know, we have the gray May, which is because of um, the pressure system and how the city can sometimes be sort of covered with clouds in May, and that extends into June gloom, as they say. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I would come. You know, January, if it's the climate crisis doesn't destroy this phenomenon, January could be quite rainy, and same for February. Mm-hmm. But boy, March and April are beautiful times here. Um, other things that I might not have known. Um, this is a tricky one, and I hate to put you on the spot. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I'm probably going to, you know, someone else is going to do it too. Uh, and I'll, this way I'll have gotten through it first. One thing I'll say. Um, Los Angeles is much more enjoyable and better when you um when you aren't afraid of it um this is so this is not going to be as specific but it was something that certainly became true for me and there's an amateur historian here named sam sweet who really pushed this on me and he has self-published these amazing books called all night menu that i highly encourage people to go to his website google sam sweet all night menu buy them because he'll sell they'll be sold out soon they're great in any case he made the point that Los Angeles won't give to you until you show up. Um, but if you aren't afraid of it, if you are willing to do the drive and get out to places, you really respond to it. So that, before um, I lived in Brooklyn, I lived in Manhattan. And this was back in the day before, you know, Sex in the City had broken through and suddenly Miranda or whoever is complaining about having to go to Brooklyn. Everyone's like, oh no, we all live in Brooklyn now. Uh, <laughs> but I, you said that mental gap of like, Am I going to go to Brooklyn because I lived in Greenwich Village? Like, it just seems far away. And it's that reluctance. And um, Los Angeles is so much better when you're not reluctant. But, okay, specifically to people, um, advice, uh, explore downtown. Downtown, whether it's the last bookshop or it's Sonora Town, which has some of the best tacos in Los Angeles, or it is Museum Row around the Broad, or it's, frankly, Skid Row, uh, it is... uh, vast and interesting and old and there are funky tours that you can do Um, you can go see the old la times building it's just gorgeous but if you are (laughs) i've met two people in my interviews and i won't they'll let them be nameless who both moved here from new york and were like well i want that urban experience so i'm going to get an apartment downtown Mm -hmm. and not have a car Listen, I, I get it for climate crisis reasons, but you not having a car is not going to make that much of a difference in the big scheme of things. And Los Angeles is so good with a car. It is so... Yeah. If you can find driving enjoyable in some way, then fucking make the drive because driving can be gorgeous. I don't care. Like, traffic is not that big of a deal. I don't... That's really an exaggerated part of Los Angeles. And let's... Listen, I don't have to do a commute every day. I don't have to do an, a one to two hours back and forth. So for those people, of course, it's awful. That's a miserable experience. But but, but you have to, I mean, I think that goes to the nature of where you live here. Where, yeah. you know, And everyone doesn't always control that. And, and right. obviously, it's 
more expensive to live in certain places so it's right. sometimes not even possible but yeah, i think you can engineer your life to a degree where you can minimize the traffic thing yeah you, you know where it doesn't become this overwhelming you know the problem is like it could be you know, the the day you have to get 20 things done and come to the palisades and go to culver city and right. you know be everywhere then it's then you're you know then it's a nightmare but Ooh. otherwise, you're right. Like, I was going to say, you know, yeah. I'll let you keep... Fin no, let this is a quick one, I just, but I want to jump on it while I'm thinking about it. I didn't know before I moved here that the beaches belong to everybody, you know? Just because you're the head of DreamWorks doesn't mean you own the beach. In fact, the beach in front of your house, me, due to, you know, live somewhere else, can walk on your beach and sit on your beach. But homeowners in Malibu and other areas, Santa Monica, etc., go to great lengths, illegal lengths, but that just aren't enforced, to make it seem as though you're not allowed near their beach. Mm -hmm. And they will do all kinds of bullshit and put up all kinds of, uh, you know, blockades to try and prevent you from getting near their beach. And there's an app for this, like there is for everything, called My Malibu Beaches. And it, it shows you, and it gives you instructions on like, here's where the gate is, here's the passcode if you need one, That's here's cool. the house, like the, the third house with the red roof, you can be 25 feet in front of, but the one with the greenhouse, you can only be 10 feet in front of. And it, it's like, you can like show the app to when, you know, some executive from some studio, some rich asshole it complains about you being there, you'd be like, nope. I've got the app. I'm allowed to be here. Uh, and let them call the police. The police can't do anything. Um, yeah. What were you going to say? Beaches Sorry. for everyone. No, I was going to say, you know, the, there are there are some, I, and I wrote about this in in a story, this this car magazine, but um, that's, that's just coming out, but it's about the old roads and sort of the Pasadena freeway. Yep. Um, and, and there's certain places where you're right. It's like driving. Any chance I get where I'm like, I could take the 101 or I could just go to the you know, coastal route yep. and to drive on that, you know, I take my daughter to school and I come back, you know, and I come out of the tunnel from the 10 to the one and it's this beauty, the beach opens up and the mountains open up and, yep. you know, Malibu's in the distance. Yep. And and you're like, this is amazing. You yeah. Know? You know, it's, there's some, there's so many surprises. So now that I'm, I, I can start to feel a little bit of a role here. I don't think people from outside the city understand Griffith Park the monstrosity, the amount mm -hmm. of how big it is, how much things there are within the park to do. It is not Central Park. It is a vast, it's practically a national park and there's so much And to there's do. mountain lions that basically live in Griffith Park. Yeah, it's weird when you see coyotes in your neighborhood. I had a friend who has a pool, he lives up in Altadena and he had a bear in his pool. A bear! Like, I don't <laughs> want a bear on my property and I live in an apartment, but um, what else? Gosh, I could. I feel like we could do this all day. Um, I'm sure your listeners this are is, bored by now. No, this is, this is fun. Um, uh, you don't have to buy tortillas in the grocery store. There are so many tortillerias in Los Angeles where they're homemade and they're gorgeous. You can get Kernel of Truth, these amazing organic uh, corn tortillas. Like you, the, the idea, I went to a very fancy house um, for a very fancy dinner and the hostess was Mexican um, and she was complaining about how the tortillas in Los Angeles are so bad compared to in Mexico. I was like, where do you get your tortillas? She's like, oh, at Whole Foods. And I was like, at Whole Foods? She's like, no, no, Erwan. And I was like, Erwan? You got a fucking Erwan for your tortillas? Like you just don't understand. I bought a I bought a half jar, I think out of sheer laziness, a half jar of salsa uh, from Erwan. It was nine dollars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh. oh my see, God. now we've equally embarrassed ourselves. I had the whole Patagonia thing, and you yeah. are bad at salsa. <laughs> um, 
You know, you can tell that's just, you know, being in the Palisades too much. It comes to, right. comes to get you. You know, I, I would want to, if, if I can add one more culinary thing, you know, it's p- don't sleep on pupusas. Oh, my God. Pupusas are amazing. Which I don't think are a thing. I mean, I think are a thing in Central America. Oh, sure, uh, sure, sure. You but know, that's obviously why they're, you know, everywhere in L.A. But, yeah. the, you know, uh, we have Pupusas are gorgeous. I mean, that's the other thing is like the street food, the small food that... Maybe I didn't know this before I came here, but Los Angeles is a zone, is a region of strip malls, right? And we know this because we live here. But in any given strip mall anywhere in the city, there may be, you know, a psychic and a dry cleaner and um, an auto parts shop and a tiny little family restaurant. But there could also be the best tiny little family yeah. restaurant in Los Angeles for that uh, cuisine. There also could be there is such good Japanese food here. Yeah. And there is, and I'm not talking about, there are whole communities that people may not know that are literally Japanese towns and villages in Los Angeles, you know, with great, great Japanese grocery stores uh, and huge communities with deep history. And obviously, you know, we've got horrible, tragic history there too with, um, you know, Japanese Americans being thrust into concentration camps. But I don't need to go into that. What I can tell you is that some of the best sushi I've had in the world, and I've had sushi at the fish market in Hokkaido where the guy cut it for me off tuna that was caught like that fucking morning. That was good sushi. Some of the sushi in the dinkiest strip malls in Los Angeles is just blow your head off. Yeah, the... the we can do food all day. Yeah. I, I feel like there's that... You know, any Asian food. Yeah. Um, any South American, Central yeah, American, Mexican. Yeah. You can kind of go deep in that. Yep. I should tell you about the local sushi place here, Blue Ribbon. Have you heard about I, them? I have eaten at Blue Ribbon uh, <laughs> when someone else had an expense account. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's very authentic. It's very, yeah. Um, well, I, I really love the book and, and thanks for coming over making the trip i owe you a trip to the east side you're welcome and you will come over and uh i don't know what we will eat but it will will be I'll bring something you some airwan we'll have it we'll have airwan we'll have an airwan picnic in griffith park <laughs> lovely well, it was good talking to you congrats on the book and uh and and you know I, I hope everyone you know takes takes the opportunity to to read it enjoy it and you know to give la a chance awesome thank yeah. you michael thank you 